Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today we're going to discuss the integration of financial services and the revenue challenges of regulated industries. Joining us is Frederick Crosby, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at Neom which is a leading embedded fintech company that provides banks, payment providers, and businesses of any size with access to global payment services. So far this week, Frederick and I talked about embedded finance, and today we're going to wrap up our conversation by talking about revenue challenges in regulated industries. Okay, here's my conversation with Frederick Crosby, the Chief Revenue Officer at Neom. Frederick, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be back here, Doug. It's great to have you back. So the topic is revenue challenges in regulated industries. And I imagine there's a spectrum from light regulation to heavy regulation. Where on that spectrum do companies need to be before they experience revenue challenges? Oh, my gosh, that's a great question. Look, I can really talk to mainly the payments world because that's where I'm at. And that's in that heavier to very heavy regulated area. And you have to succeed to get revenue. There's tons of revenue. We know the size of the market is huge, but it is more challenging to get to in these regulated markets. I'll share a little story of something I recall having. I've been in payments a long time, almost 20 years. And regulations is just such a huge part of it. And there's all the things you have to be concerned about and doing right, which is the opportunity, right? Where there's difficulty, there's opportunity. And some days I just put my head down and go, why didn't I go into shoes? You make the shoes, you sell the shoes. There's no law on how you sell the shoes just right, or the last one should be on the right one. And what else did you say about the size of the heel before you sold the shoe? No, it can be difficult in payments. So aside from your future career in uh, shoe sales, let me know when the <laughs> shop opens up. I'm in. You just sold me shoes right here. It's fantastic. Actually, I changed direction. I'm going to surf shop. That's my goal. As soon as it's all done, simple search shop, still no regulations. The board is so high. You need this much wax. Go enjoy. Okay, search shop it is. I approve. So let's talk about the complexity because I imagine, especially for embedded finance, which we talked a great deal about yesterday in yesterday's episode, I imagine we're talking, we're thinking regulation in terms of just, say, the federal government of the United States. But when you're talking about embedded finance, people aren't just purchasing in the United States. They're purchasing internationally. So I imagine that adds a level of complexity that frankly just scared the heck out of a lot of our listeners right now. So embedded finance is <laughs> not the place you want to go, folks. It is scary. Is that really one of the complications or complexities to the industry? Absolutely. You know, going back to what I said earlier, complexity and challenges provides opportunity. And I think that's really why fintech is so in demand right now, why it's such a big industry. 
without those regulations, and particularly in global payments, it would just be finance. It wouldn't be fintech. You need a lot of technology to really think through and cover the regulations all around the world because they're all so different. And that's why Neom exists, to be honest with you. Companies could try to figure out the regulations, he said, in the United States and maybe get through there. But the next time you start thinking about a global market, which everything is nowadays, you're going to have to replicate that in every place you go. Better just to use a company like Aeneum to have that all mapped out for you. So you just plug in and, and we worry about that. If we figure out what happens when you settle a payment in Japan and what kind of license is required to do that or about sending cash into Turkey or being able to set up cards in Australia. So many different things in every little pocket. And it's more than just the geographies and laws there. It's the various payment types you have too, right? Because all these countries could have different kinds of payment types, different kinds of e-wallets, and there's different kinds of rules and all of those as well. The world is filled with rules. So it's not necessarily challenges per se for Neom. I'd expect you guys certainly embrace the complexity as a part of your business model. But it's really speaking to the companies out there that at the end of the day are beginning that expansion exercise and don't fully understand or embrace. I imagine that's one use case, right? Companies that are thinking about expanding. Is that sweet spot for you guys? Is that where you want to be? Those companies that just don't know what they don't know? Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take it long to find out. Many conversations will start with an enterprise or a platform. A lot of big companies that you've heard of are talking with us. And we'll start off on one given country. Like, we have a problem to this country. Like, okay, we got that. And then they go, wait, by the way, can you also solve in this other country or this other region? Like, yeah, you know, 190 countries. We're good. <laughs> Their eyes open up like, oh, my God, you just saved me a year in my, my pipeline. I could get this all done quicker now because of something so universal. People find out quickly how hard it is and how different it is from country to country if they're thinking about going down that path and how simple an embedded finance service like ours can improve upon that. It's a great answer. I think we saved you from your career in shoe sales. Sorry, <laughs> in surf shop sales. Damn it. Damn it. Can I do that again? <laughs> That's too bad. That's just too bad. There goes that career. So let's understand this range of challenges that would occur for most companies. So what's kind of a minor knit type of challenge? And then take us up to the, some of the bigger stuff that really ultimately causes people pause and drives them to your doorstep. Sometimes it's just, can you even do what you want to do in those countries? Can you even, let's say you're somebody who has a card issue or you need to issue cards to your client base. Maybe they're gig workers, maybe they're delivery folks, maybe they're your employees. Do you have the right to? Can you? Right? You have to go through country by country and get the right bin sponsor. If you're not the bin sponsor, get the right bank sponsor. So it's beyond regulation. Sometimes it's also fintech setup. And then did you do it in a way that someone's not going to come knocking at your door and, and shut things down in a matter of a few months once your business gets a little bit bigger in doing so? So there's one example. Sending payments into a place like India. Oh, my gosh. You just want to send money into India or set up a business that's helping receive money or, or deliver money in India. The licensing and regulations there are so tricky in terms of what kind of accounts needed, you know, what type of banking relationship, what kind of people could have those kind of relationships, just layer after layer after layer of complexities. And yet there it is, one of the world's biggest markets needing people to, to address all of its needs. And businesses would really want to get in there, but they could be scared away by the regulations. Are there countries that are particularly troublesome compared to others? I mean, China, you do business payments in China, you need to have a documentation for what it's for. There are difficulties there. Brazil, whew, 
I really don't know how Brazil is still such a major economic power when they have rules on bringing money into the country, taxes applied, and when it's a regulated currency, there's other issues about being able to hold funds. Those are some of the big guys, but so many other ones. There's a lot of regulated currencies all across Asia, and that's really where the growth is supposed to come in the next couple of decades, right? This is supposed to be the Asian, Asian century, is what people have called it economically. But that doesn't spare the rest of the world. There's other places that could have specific rules through Latin America. Kind of give it the other way around. I still tip my hat to what Europe has done. Now, Europe has regulations like everywhere else, but to have a SEPA zone where at least a bunch of countries are all acting in the same step sure saves you a lot of hassle. Like one plug will get you in there and then you can passport all the way around. So there's people that have done it well and some people who just can't figure themselves out. And again, I think China and Brazil are my two all-stars in that bucket. This is bringing something to mind. And, and I have to say that I'm not a crypto investor. I have to say I was a huge Beanie Baby investor and that didn't work out so well. So I'm really scared of crypto. <laughs> but all kidding aside, and before we get into a treatise on blockchain technology, how does this compare to the value prop, if you will, and really the idea behind cryptocurrency kind of unifying global markets under this idea of a single digital currency? You know, it would work if the whole world decides that when they go to the grocery store, they're going to use their cryptocurrency. Otherwise, what you've got is another wallet with another amount of money that you constantly have to think about your exchange rate to bring back to the rest of the world. It does work in the fact that it's not a central bank regulated currency. It is something that's kind of a shared ownership. But I think it's not as universal as we might want it to be because it requires a double exchange. So let's say you're sitting there in Uruguay and I'm over here in Japan and, you know, I'm going to send you some money. And we had a good conversation. I lost a bet. I owe you a few Ethereums, right? Well, I have to go into my savings, which is USD, exchange it into Ethereum. And when you get your Ethereum, maybe you're going to hold it, which is fine. But, you know, uh, time for the mortgage. What are you going to have to do? Well, you're going to have to go back and exchange it to Uruguayan, oh, I forgot the Uruguayan currency. That used to be one of my party tricks. It used to every kind of currency. And here I am in Japan saying I got dollars. I'd be sending you yen. But you'd have to exchange it again. So you had twice the cost as opposed to me just doing yen to dollars. So this idea of crypto solving FX and global exchange rates is a harder thing to climb. There's a lot of great things about crypto. But I don't see that as a natural suite until all these currencies become more universal in general and you're using it in your everyday life and you can just hold it and use it and spend it in the local grocery store. So I feel like we started this conversation a little bit talking about how businesses really have difficulty, revenue prevention, if you will, when it comes to the complexity of moving money around internationally. It certainly feels like a real challenge. We talked a little about crypto. We talked about how crypto isn't the panacea for finances we thought it would be. But I'm curious, there ultimately uh, is a situation, I think, where someday things do get more efficient. And I guess what I'd ask here is, do you think capital will push us to the point where we have more commonalities in terms of financial regulations between countries? Or are we just stuck? You know, it's hard to say. It really is country by country type of decisions. Brazil's been on the precipitous of greater opportunities for a long time, and it just keeps doing the things that it had done before for political reasons. People just like controls. They never want to give up controls. But there's progress in other parts of the world. While China, of course, still has a lot of regulations, it was almost impossible like 40 years ago to do anything there. 
And they've learned how to open up trade and create opportunities for people to do it. Even India is making the you know, baby steps with how they allow for repatriation of funds over the last 20 years. And it got simpler. And, and you know, there's actually a lot of good financial innovation happening there. So in more capitalistic-minded countries, now, even if you're communist in China, you're still a capitalist. The most capitalistic country I've ever been to, to be honest with you. People love, they're great merchants. They're really good merchants. If you have that kind of mindset driving it, you're likely more to see change if that's the majority. If your mindset as a country is not there, it'll slow things down from improving. I think, gosh, I'm half Peruvian, so I hate to beat up on my Latin American brothers, but Argentina is another example. Like that's, that's a country that has so much education, so much opportunity, but their political mindset won't let them get out of their own economic way and regulations and, and such when it comes to their finances. And you still have not remembered what the Peruvian currency is, and you're half Peruvian. Oh, peso, 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 peso. Is the Uruguayan one? I don't know. Okay. Oh, no, shoot. Peruvian sole. What am I doing? Oh, my, my, my poor past mother. She's going to be so upset when she says the Peruvian peso. <laughs> See, folks, there we go. Even the biggest brain people on the uh, show forget things sometimes. <laughs> hey, late on a Friday. Yeah. Frederick, thanks. Really enjoyed the conversation today. I really learned a ton. All right, Doug. Thank you. It was a great time. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Frederick Crosby, Chief Revenue Officer at Neum, for joining us. If you can't wait until our next episode and would like to learn more about Frederick, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is FJCrosbySF, or visit his company website at neum.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to RevGenPod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generated podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can contact me directly where my handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed in the next business day. Okay, that's all for now. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.